Uh, I'll see. Let's slate it. This is a hundredth episode. Episode C. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles podcast. <laughs> I am so proud of this podcast, TJ. And producer KC. We made it. Wow. A century, 100 episodes. We've been doing it for 100 years. <laughs> you know, I was just listening back to the deluxe reissue of your Beatles origin stories. We put out the deluxe reissue a couple months ago, but it was like your sixth episode. And I think you opened it with a dumb TJ bit being like, And welcome to Untitled Beatles Podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. I'm TJ Shanoff. And Tony, it's our 250th episode. So uh, this I know. Is a big, it's a big deal. It is. It's our 250th episode and our one million and oneth minute. Yes, thank you. And our two millionth listeners. So to all two million of you, we promise to get back to you with handwritten thank you notes. This is our 250th episode for our (laughs) one billion listeners. We finally made it. We finally made it. I'm the one of the three that does this for the fame. Casey and Tony do it for the art. I'm doing this just for that chick. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. All three of us are here. I'm Tony Mendoza. Hey, I'm TJ Shanoff. And I'm Casey Baker. I've never, I've never said that before on the thing. That was exciting. It's a first. Oh, it took 100 episodes. Producer Casey, it, it took 100 episodes, but we finally got you to, to slate yourself. Appreciate it. Yes, it's our 100th episode. Well, I refer to this, of course, as episode C. Or no, that's how you refer to it, right, TJ? Key. <laughs> it's a hard C. Key. Key? Key. Key. That's the original Latin pronunciation, I believe. Yeah. Key. I didn't know that. The yeah. Beatles' 100th album in 2056, <laughs> the deluxe deluxe reissue of 20 Greatest Hits will be CC. <laughs> it was 50 years ago today, 50 years ago today. Is that what it'll be called? It's, it's, it's going to be. So let's get this straight. We're talking about Roman numerals, right? Roman numeral C represents 100. TJ, you insist on saying Beatles VI in reference to the American album Beatles 6. Beatles Roman numeral Beatles 6. Beatles VI. Why isn't the number 6 on the cover? <laughs> Satanic. number. That 6 is the number of the beast, man. As someone, okay, the answer to the question is an obvious one. As someone who's been holding the album and listening to the album of Beatles VI for <laughs> 44 years of my life, I've called it Beatles VI since I was probably five, and it just never changed. I look at the cover and I go, yeah, it's Beatles VI. It's, it's the one right before Help. But do you say Rocky I I I for Rocky Three? <laughs> Rocky I I I. It's the, the Ricky Martin version of the Rocky theme. Um, I love this idea that you're Roman numeral blind, or like <laughs> Super Bowl XXX. Yeah, is that what you called when the Bears won the Super Bowl? Was it Super Bowl Double X? Super Bowl XX Bears <laughs> Patriots. I'm the fucking QB known as McMahon. Now, in my defense, whenever I'm a VIP somewhere, like when we go to Liverpool, TJ, and all three of us are VIPs at the uh, Beatlefest there, 
I refer to it as a sixp. <laughs> so I'm a Tony's, sixp. Tony's reverse Roman numeral blind. Anytime there's a letter sequence that is a Roman numeral, he can't not read it as a numeral. Yeah. That's why we compliment each other so well. We go together like so we've been talking for a while about what are we going to do for this 100th episode, right? So we've had some ideas. Um, we've got some great listener questions we'll make sure that we get to as part of this. But one of the things I've been wanting to do, and maybe we'll find a way to do this on our website, is, you know, we've got such a cool community of listeners who have been listening for a long time, who've gotten to know the show, who are tracking a lot of the dumb inside jokes that we've collected over 100 episodes and now two years of doing this, essentially. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to hopefully decode some of those bits for people who are maybe newer to the show or maybe people like me who just kind of giggle along but don't really know what the joke origin is. So I'm glad we got that Roman numeral bit out of the way, like trying to understand <laughs> where the jokes come from. Um, I was wondering, maybe I could uh, pick your brains about some of the other recurring bits in the show and maybe understand the origins of them. I love it. Let's do it. I don't got a lot of time. Go. Okay, well, let's start with the opening boing. Untitled Beatles podcast. So I know it's reminiscent of that opening chord of Hard Day's Night, which you guys pick apart the musicology of in the Hard Day's Night episode we did a couple months ago. I want to break down that chord real quick. Yeah, please. I, I, I try. I don't know. I, I don't know how to play it. Well, you need a bunch of people. That's the thing. You need like a band to do it. Uh, this is how they did it, and this is actually how I composed it. I had to, I redid it for our little uh, our little bumper sound that we used. I didn't have these things, but George Harrison played an F add nine chord on his Rickenbacker twelve string, which was his new guitar, the signature sound. Yeah. John Lennon also played an F add nine, but on a Gibson acoustic six string. Paul plays a D, and it's actually the D tones that are resonating in the whole of John Lennon's Gibson. Uh, yeah, and George Martin's in on the action. I think he's playing a G chord without the B, so he's playing a low D. And then finally, it's very subtle. I never would have picked this up, ever. Do you hear Ringo in there? Because he's in there. He plays a snare drum and a little bit of the ride cymbal. So that's all in there. One, two, three, four. But that existed, that predates me on the show. Where did that come from? What's the, where'd that come from? <laughs> that actually came from a bit that my comedy partner, Linda Orr, and I did right around the time we were starting the podcast. And it was like a, a quick bit called um, The Boingles. <laughs> and I was basically taking Circus Atari, the game, the Atari 2600 game, Circus Atari, and it was a video piece. And it was like the Beatles were the two people on Circus Atari, but they're the Boingles. And it's, it's a dumb bit, and it exists on YouTube somewhere. So I don't need to tell you, but Seesaw Mania is just sweeping the nation right now. Teenagers everywhere, they're teetering, they're tottering, and it's all because of this next act. These two brothers are springing their way to the top of our hearts, here to perform. It's a new Seesaw routine called A Difficult Night's Breakfast. Please welcome an exclusive performance on Linda Orr's Extraordinary Shorts, Seesaw Sensations, The Boingle! Oh 
Yeah, that's where that came from. So I actually did create the Hard Day's Night thing. That's garage band piano. It's garage band drums. I played the two guitar notes. Yeah, and then just that's a, I think that's a Warner Brothers Boeing sound effect, I think. I have like a Warner Brothers five disc sound effect thing, which is amazing. And I remember when that came out. That's so, of course you have it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. like, a, it's like, in a, is it in a box set? Is it like in a thing or? I got it digitally, TJ. I did not. I oh did my not, God, uh, you coward. Destroying record stores left and right. I'm the reason Tower Records is now a, a, a thing of dust on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, and Clark and Belden. Yeah, and Clark and Belden, right. Get the Grateful Dead, the B-52s, Linda Ronstadt, In Excess, Basia, Living Color, Public Enemy, Michael Bolton, Tower Records, Chicago's largest record store. Now open every night till midnight at North Clark and Belden in Lincoln Park. Tower Records, we've got your music on sale. Right, where I, I bought many a uh, Grand Royal magazine and all that. Actually, Grand Royal had a store just around the corner from there. Remember the Beastie Boys had a oh, store. Yeah. They opened in like 93. I went to the grand opening of Grand Royal. That's awesome. <laughs> Summer of 93. Tony, I will bet you and I were at that tower. Like I lived, that tower opened, I got, I think my junior year of high school. And I lived not, I was, I was living in Lakeview at the time. So it was like a walk, but more often than not, we drive and park in that free lot underneath. Oh yeah, that's right. The lot. Yeah. Tower was open till midnight. It was great. And like, there were plenty of nights where like, and I'm not ashamed as a nerd to say this. I would be in tower from like 10 to 12 on like a Friday night where I had nothing doing, just looking at every CD from every set, the classical room, all the jazz stuff, like just looking at covers, that's what Tower afforded people and the Virgin Megasaur to a lesser extent, but certainly Tower, they had everything in stock all the time. And that like being able to browse that stuff, not being able to have that, I think kind of sucks. Yeah. I miss that. Yeah. I miss that too. I miss that browsing thing. Yeah, for sure. Did you get there, Casey, or was that still just enough before your time? I it was before my time. I didn't. Yeah, I was like very much the mall music land generation. Was music land your mall store? Oh, yeah. That was like go to the mall, drop $10 at Treats and More to get <laughs> bulk candy, throw it in your backpack, carry it around with you, stop at Aladdin's Castle, getting around a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Aladdin's Castle, the arcade. Yep. Hit the music land and maybe with any money left, pick up. A cassette single of Crash Test Dummies. <laughs> yeah, man. Good song. Good song. Yeah. It is a good song. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. Once there was this kid who got into an accident and God had come to school. But um, a couple other bits I want to know the background. So we buzz and ding as a method of fact checking. That also predates my time on the show. When did that start and how, where did that come about? They're kind of like these like classic game show sounders. But, you know, what was what was the impetus for starting to use them? Tony, I don't remember how that began. I, I <laughs> yeah. I don't, was that, that must have been you. I mean, I think in the earlier episodes, you can still listen to them. You would often fact check the show in the episode notes and you wouldn't record fact checks into the episode. You would maybe just use the buzzer to mark when you knew you got something wrong and you'd correct it in the show notes afterward. I, yeah, that scans. That sounds about right. I remember doing <laughs> that um, in those early blurbs when we were just starting out. Yeah. 
I will say I'm, I bet the ding is probably influenced by Pod Save America. If I can mention another podcast on this program, <laughs> oh yeah, one I love. Yeah, because they of course always, I do. They always do the dings like when they do their quiz things. Tommy, you got it. It was. Yeah. Uh, the other use of that ding that I've heard is on one of my favorite longtime radio shows and podcasts, Sound Opinions. I don't know if they still mm. do this, but they used to use Jim DeRogatis. Uh, Worships at the altar of Brian Eno, and Greg Cott would make fun of him for like they would count the number of times he references Brian Eno in an episode, and they they ding it. Oh, every that's time funny. He said Eno. So when I mention Brian Eno, you often hear this sound on Sound Opinions. Also, fellow Beatle podcasters, uh, something about the Beatles. I think anytime they plug something, they use that ding sound effect. Oh, yeah. And I compared it in my book, my Revolver book, to it's like. When you go to see a much hyped live band for the first time. So it's an homage (laughs) to other podcasts we love. I was going to mention when you mentioned Sound Opinions, I've I've not told the story on the show before. I used to host an event every year for Second City for a wonderful organization called Gildas Club. And there's Gildas Club chapters all over the country. The one in Chicago, I think, is the original. And it's, it's a wonderful cancer support group. They're just incredible people. And they had an event at Park West that I would host every year for about a decade for Second City. That was half improv and me interviewing local Chicago celebrities and, and media people. I interviewed Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cott shortly after their Beatles versus Stones book came out. And there's so many things I wanted to talk to them about in a 20 minute slot. And I just spent 20 minutes asking them to defend bashing Paul McCartney and defend bashing <laughs> popular Beatles stuff. And just, it became a little, it was giggly initially. And then it got a little contentious in front of a few hundred people at Park West. Cause I'm just like, I don't get it. What, what are the two of you not seeing that everyone else is seeing? <laughs> so we have just said Sgt. Pepper's is not the Beatles psychedelic masterpiece. There was also a year I was mocking how the Sun Times had become like a newsletter. It's six pages. And one of the sponsors <laughs> of the event was the Sun Times. And I didn't realize that at the time. I got a boo in the audience. <laughs> get it straight from the heart of the city. The Chicago Sun Times. And I love Greg Cott and Jim Drogonis, but, you know, they, there is a little yeah. too much casual Beatles, if not outright bashing Beatles naysaying that has frustrated me as a native of Chicago. <laughs> and Tony, didn't you say at one point Jim DeRogatis reviewed one of your bands in Chicago? Yes, uh, my band, Let's Get Out of This Terrible Sandwich Shop. It had a very, we had a very long name. It was, a it, we were kind of a comedy slash rock and roll band and yeah, I think it was in 2006, maybe. And we put out an EP and he, you know, he gave it a mixed review. He thought some of the songs yeah. were there, but he thought the comedy bits were not to his liking. Or That's how I remember it. I could be misremembered. How cool that he reviewed you guys, Tony. That's a big deal when the Chicago rock critic is reviewing you. Yeah, man. I mean, I was, this is when I was a bike messenger. So I would get on my bike and through my deliveries uh, throughout the day, I would stop in at the Tribune. You know, this is just going in through the mailroom on the lower level by the Billy Goat across the street from the underground on the Billy Goat. And just, you know, attention, Greg caught, went to the Sun-Times building across the street at the time. And uh, did all that. Went to the Reader, uh, New City. You know, I, I, I hit all these spots on my bike. It's awesome. <laughs> the hustle. 
It was. It was a hustle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. How many of our listeners remember this ditty? <laughs> So sometimes when you guys are listing off long things, usually around Collector's Corner with TJ listing off the infinity versions of... Wait, is this a listener uh, or are you editorializing? I, this, a listener is asking about this. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll play a Steely Dan track and, and TJ's voice will just kind of fade out as this, the track comes up. What is the origin of that joke? Where does that come from? Uh, first yeah. of all, anybody who doesn't want to hear about the uh, Purple Capital issues from 98 can stop listening. That's my favorite thing. DJ must collect all the records. Uh, manufactured by Capital. Uh, that is a great bit from a Steely Dan documentary, I believe, called... Maybe it's Two Against Nature to promote their... No, it's not. It's the classic albums, Asia special you remember all those classic okay. album series yeah and they talk about the making of the album and they interview bernard prudy purdy <laughs> whatever you want to call him no it's it's bernard prudy obviously we know this and uh he's listing all of the bands he's played for yes and you know kind of showboating a bit in a great way because he's awesome he's one of the great drummers ever yeah but the double joke there is he at one point claimed that he did play on some beatles songs yes. so we use that there but that is uh home at last i believe is the song from yeah. asia that's the riff <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Aretha Franklin. Nina Simone. Roberta Flack, Donnie Hathaway. James Brown. Lloyd Price. Ray Charles. Frank Sinatra. Heinz, Heinz, and Ford. Barry Manilow. Dionne Warwick. The Animals. The Monkeys. The Beatles. B.B. King. Bobby Blue. Well, and it seems like in the documentary clip, which we'll link to in the episode notes, uh, it seems like maybe the producer is getting a little itchy because he's listing off these artists and he goes on to say the Beatles and he starts getting like a little more dubious in the claims and maybe uses the music swell to sort of like <laughs> cover it up before we start getting into like whole made up territory. That's exactly Rush. it. <laughs> that is exactly the reason his he gets faded out. It's, you, I think you hear him say Beatles, but it's like the Beatles. The animals. Okay, this is one I didn't know. Sometimes we use beeping sounds, like especially when we stumble and trip, you'll hear like a tape beep. What are those beeps and what, like how do they relate to Beetledom? Well, you know, before Get Back came out and all that, you could listen to all these sessions from Twickenham and it's mostly Twickenham, if I recall. Yes. And throughout these sessions you'd hear this beeping sound like sometimes in the middle of a song sometimes in the middle of their chatter and what that was was the uh sound equipment recording the audio for the film project Nagra was the manufacturer, I believe, of the tape recorder. Yeah. And so those were known as, we call them Nagra beeps. Nagra beeps. Uh, and I think it's to like slate. That's my understanding of why, what those beeps are. Like that's where you would start then sound roll 37 or whatever it's going to be. And 
until a lot of the get back stuff came out cleaned up when the movie came out uh, last November, those Nagra beeps and bootlegs made a lot of those bootlegs intolerable. Yes. I mean, I've, mm. I've, I've got a ton of those and I'd be lying if I said I listened to them more than one time. I would download them or get like a random CD of it. Um, and like there's times where it's just it, it's intolerable. Well, it's it raw footage, you, you know, it's in real yeah. time, raw footage. It's just, it's like yeah. hanging around when you're filming and there's a lot of people sitting around, you know, <laughs> waiting for whatever, you know, lighting or a makeup adjustment or wardrobe, et cetera. Real quick, the, those Nagra tapes, they are pretty dispiriting. I, before we totally rewrite history about how famously the Beatles turned out that it get back and let it be was a happy time just based on the Nagra tapes alone plus the narrative for the 45 years before that or whatever almost 50 years the Nagra tapes are dreary that's another thing too the jams and the repeated takes it's not a fun listen I don't think so anyway yeah that speaks to the the power of a good edit yeah you know I think you know you guys sort of exposed me to that notion of a Nagra beep I think Tony used it in an edit first or I can't remember or maybe you recommended it and I went and found the sound effect or something like that yeah so now I mostly use it to troll the two of you because anytime <laughs> you guys stumble we have two options when we edit I could either edit it cleanly which I do 90% of the time or I can make fun of you by leaving it all in there and then using the beep to highlight how many times it took you to get it right I have a great outtake which maybe I'll use here <laughs> Uh, from the last Sergeant Pepper episode where oh, no. TJ, it's a TJ one. TJ, you were trying to, God, what was it? It was a song title. For once. Oh no, it was a reference to She's Leaving Home lyrics and you were trying to say, Daddy, our baby's gone, but you said, Baby, our daddy's gone. And you're Paul's just, original lyric, if you read the book, the lyrics. Yeah. Daddy's gone. Let's get. And you just progressively lose your shit and can't get it out. I ended up. I was going to leave it in, but the episode was a little too long and it was a little too meandering. So maybe I'll use that outtake here. It's a pretty good one. I really like this song, and I liked it back then too. You know, when I was a junior high kid or whatever. Yeah, those stabs on daddy are. Da Excuse me. Those stabs on baby are daddy's gone. <laughs> Excuse me. Husband, baby, our daddy's gone. Do, 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 do. I was just going to say, uh, uh, those stabs on. <laughs> oh, Wait, no. Let me get away from the camera. Oh, no. Those stabs on baby, our dad. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Never going to get it. Never going to get it. Those, <laughs> those stabs on daddy, our baby's gone, were later used for breaking news on NBC. <laughs> You know, on the topic of your guys's funny trip-ups and stumbles, of which there are many, and that's why we edit it, so that the show sounds nice and clean. None of us are this eloquent a speaker in real life. But, uh, Tony, I believe you've been saving clips of your weird stumbles and spurts. Is that true? Yes. Prior to you joining us, Casey, I was mostly doing the editing on these. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> We're a team. I just... Don't do as much of the work. <laughs> that is not true. And yeah, and I've got a total mush mouth mouth. Like I am just stumbling all the time. Sometimes you can't even cut around it. That's why I sound perhaps a little more scattered than my cohort here, TJ. So yeah, so I started collecting these things that I just edited out and I started making little clips of them on their own. And uh, yeah, I made a little uh, minute long-ish piece in honor of this idiocy. I want to tell you 
You know, I before I were actually simultaneously this is off topic, and I I will say he 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 hurt. So it's it's you John John played a ton. Uh, that said, I I I, I this I, this I. So it's 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 a great one. F A T fat, because uh, he 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 gets on Dylan's ass. Because I'm. And it came from he was uh, it, it came from the sky. Knocking on heaven's door. Side two opens up with uh, a a be- uh, I don't know. Well, the 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 next song in here. Let's uh, and this version of Apple Scruffs is uh, the. This I mean so I we both I, I as I was I so I uh, I do strangely love hot rod culture. Yeah, that. I, th- 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 I think that. W- so it's it's you, John. John. No, that's good. <laughs> I haven't heard it with the uh, drops underneath it. That was great. I didn't hear that one. Oh, well done. Thanks for enduring that. Yeah, man. Yeah. So editing is a lot of that. Taking that garbage out of me being apple scruffs. Well, I, in both of your defenses, you do stumble a little bit and I edit a ton of it. And I feel like in the process of getting to edit for so long, I feel like I get a little bit inside your head. And in many ways, it's like every time that happens, your brains are ahead of your mouth. Like you guys are just improvisers and such bizarre thinkers and fast thinkers. You're just like giving your mouth time to catch up with your brain and I feel almost like... Why don't you stop talking about my mouth, son? <laughs> Look, I think a lot about your mouth, TJ. And I almost feel guilty editing some of that stuff out because in some ways I feel like the show ends up feeling like you guys are a little too fast. Sometimes you like come in way too quick with a really funny take or weird out there tangent. When in really reality, sometimes it like takes you a couple steps to get to the joke. And I, I don't know. Don't I believe that. It. We are always on and perfect. Our first instincts are our uh, best instincts. This show's live. To what you re- we'll do it live. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. To all you radio <laughs> programmers out there, Tony and I both done radio. And oh, I mean, I'm not going to say either of us right. was perfect on the air, but certainly were I preparing for like a live radio show, Podcasts are a little different, especially knowing podcasts are a little different. I'd say they slur. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if were we doing this live, we'd approach it differently because live radio is different than recording a podcast in your pajama shorts. The countdown will begin this Sunday afternoon at 1, right here on the radio station you grew up with. Music Radio 138. Oh, fuck. What the hell's going on here? One last bit question is, uh, and we may or may not be being paid to ask this question. What's the story with Kenny Rogers Roasters? Like, A, (laughs) what is Kenny Rogers Roasters? B, what is our show's fascination? And C, what is the nature of our business relationship with them? (laughs) Who did this question come from? Anonymous? Comes from anonymous listener. Yeah, somewhere in the Far East. He's a Um, Far East man. (laughs) He's a marketer for Kenny Rogers Roasters Corporation. Well, I moved to California when I was 18, and I believe the first meal I ever had in California was at at the then-new Kenny Rogers Roasters in Palm Desert, California. (laughs) And... 
Uh, you know, this For is before that not Seinfeld. watching the video, TJ's basically doing a spit take in the background. He's losing his shit off microphone. <laughs> story. Very politely. <laughs> I know. It's like I should have a plaque, you know, for my first Californian meal ever. It was at Kenny Rogers Roasters, which at the time was like, you know, one of the first, like, what, what would you call that? Elevated fast food? <laughs> yes, it's highly elevated. <laughs> fast casual. Fast casual, yeah. 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 So full disclosure, yeah, this is 1994. This is like the week after the Northridge earthquake in L.A., and so I remember going to LAX and like seeing the the expressways, the, the 405 or whatever that was crushed and be like, oh boy, get me out of here. Michael Bay. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we then head off to the desert and uh, yeah, so I was hungry and we there on Highway 111 was the Kenny Rogers Roasters and it was delicious chicken and uh, yeah, later used in Seinfeld. Check it out. Wow, Kenny Rogers Roasters finally open. Look at the size of that neon chicken on the roof. Rogers can't sell chicken around here. We got chicken places on every block. He is the gambler. How did it come about? I think it was just a random reference in one of our shows that we yes talking. Yes, we'd been talking a lot of... We had a two, three-week span where Kenny Rogers came up a lot. You notice... (laughs) You can tell we record multiple episodes in a day. We're like, oh, three weeks in a row. They played Love Will Turn You Around from the movie Six Pack. (laughs) I think then when we started referencing it while we were producing the episodes... We were looking for drops and jingles of Kenny Rogers Roasters. And I thought it was a long gone chain, but we discovered in our research, which is the great thing about producing, you discover these little <laughs> gems about pop culture, that Kenny Rogers is still alive and well out in like Malaysia and uh, the Singapore, the Philippines. Yeah, maybe Korea too. Yeah. And then Casey, you're the one that stumbled upon those local ads out there. Yeah. They're like, teacher says eat healthy teacher. or whatever. They're great. Yeah, there's some weird ones. Thank you. Teacher says we must eat healthy. Kenny Rogers Roasters. Less fat, less salt, less calories. If you're just tuning in, this is our 100th episode, our C episode, our key episode. That's a new recurring bet. Is the the reset as though this were a live broadcast in case somebody (laughs) accidentally tunes into the middle of a podcast. Yeah. People do that all the time. Yeah. (laughs) People have big Um, thumbs, you know. Well, this is a good transition. We actually do. So those were all like hypothetical questions. No one actually asked about them. That was me asking on behalf of all of our (laughs) bewildered listeners. And I include myself one of them. But we do have some questions from listeners. And I think the first one is probably a great one. It comes from John on Facebook. It's a great jumping off point. How did the two of you connect? And then I would say, on top of how did you two connect, how did that end up leading to this show? <laughs> well, yeah, it was at a, a ballet recital. TG and I were under the bleachers. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> it was a summer I'll never forget. Tony was an exchange student in Australia. <laughs> no, that's the case. <laughs> no, but hey, man, it might have been somewhere around 20 years ago today or something like that. It was 20 years ago this summer 
So you got to say it like it's a capital marketing campaign. Oh. It was 20 years ago today. Now rebuy the same record you own four times. Yeah. It was 20 years ago. <laughs> rebuy the Untitled Beatles podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, wherever you purchase podcasts. You and I met at Second City Chicago in the Black Orchid Theater. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Uh, he gone. He gone. <laughs> and we were uh, we were embarking on a new project then called the Second City Improv All Stars, and that was like an improv group of, I want to say it was six people, right? Very inspired by the '80s game show All Star Blitz. I was going to go Ringo's all-star band. I was like, was Steve Lukather in it? <laughs> Should have been. They all have COVID. Ringo canceled his tour, by the way. Oh, Did no. You see that? Yeah. yeah. Steve Lukather and Edgar Winters both have COVID. <laughs> and he's back. Edgar Winters back for the first time in a while. Anyway. Yeah, the free ride's over. Is that him? <laughs> I think so. And make up. Yeah. Might be, so. yeah. <laughs> but you and I met. We were the musicians that were going to be doing like live music for this uh, six-person improv show, and I was the drummer. You were on piano. Josh Funk was on guitar. Yeah, for those first few. Josh Funk, great improviser, great director. Worked with him. Did you ever work with Josh? Great guy. He went on. I believe he did music for Key and Peele. He's a great musician yeah. too. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good dude. So yeah. So that's how we met, and. If I recall, TJ, didn't you you started playing a Beatles song on the piano? Yeah, like while we're we're doing rehearsals and stuff. And I broke into Carnival of Light, and you were like, <laughs> "Someone else knows that," because we are the only two Americans who've ever heard that. <laughs> right? It's what well, it's you, me, and Mark. Yeah, I don't count well, Mark. No, you guys, you leaked it on our podcast. No, like you leaked ago. it. So now Casey, all of our listeners, <laughs> talk to me. I mentioned somebody, somebody leaked, it. leaked it. I won't name names. Four in the morning. We just wanted to give you an exclusive here on the Untitled Beatles podcast. You heard it here first. This is a world premiere. Beatle history is being made. We now present a snippet, two minutes, of a carnival of light. Take it, Tony. (laughs) Take it, Tony. Take one. All right. Bits, <laughs> so bits aside, <laughs> was it Lady Madonna, as Peter Brady would say, Lady Madonna? <laughs> <laughs> Peter Brady reference. Um, well, yeah, it must it might have been Lady Madonna. I think you played Lady Madonna, and I just jumped in on drums right off of you, you know. And we started talking Beatles, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm a fan, and you're like, oh, I'm a big fan. I'm like, oh, I'm a big fan too, you know. And then like we, and then we had a fan off. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Fan on. <laughs> Fan off. Yeah. And then we were just like, you know, it was cool. I would say we weren't getting like competitive. We were getting excited that th- yeah, there's a we fellow were geek. out together. Yeah. yeah. 
I also remember having a conversation with you that there's a 6% chance I'm making up right now and a 94% chance really happened because I'm also at that point where it's like I think things have happened because I've always played Lady Madonna like the Wings Over America version. Lady Madonna churning at your feet Wonders how you manage to make it be As much as I am, you know, the, the more straight Beatles version Yeah, yours is uh, The Wings Over America version I just played kind of boogies and I remember you being like you made some comment about like the tempo or something <laughs> because I, w- I wasn't just playing Lady Madonna I was playing that kind of yeah. almost the, the Wings Over America version they didn't say. And now he even does a little more of the jaunty version on tour now ever since. It's more discified than the studio recording. And I remember that being a fun moment of just like oh, connecting hilarious. on that level too. Yeah. Because I definitely went into the original version. I probably, um, drums wise. So it was. Yeah, that's a, what I'm saying. It was yeah. a mashup, TJ. <laughs> Casey, can you do that? <laughs> Our first mashup. <laughs> Mash that one up for us. Thanks, Case. Oh, God. Okay, good. Lady Madonna, baby at your breast. Wonders how you manage to feed the rest. Well, I mean, the cool thing here is it actually sounds like essentially this podcast started when you met, right? Like it just launched, like that's what you guys just described, you noodling around in a music rehearsal is essentially what the podcast is. Yeah, I totally agree with you. A hundred percent. And we've we've always connected in the years because in the years between, we didn't work together a ton, but like- Periodically. Periodically. And anytime we'd connect, we'd talk Beatles. And that started a chain of emails that you initiated, including one of my favorite emails I've ever received that I do believe can be its own episode that you sent to me and Trey Stone, who was playing bass in the second big thing we did together, yes. which was Rush Limbaugh, the musical. Yes. Well, yes. You, we you were the band. drums. We were the band. And because the musical was, uh, I took a lot of the songs and uh, parodied them from the Rush catalog. Yes. So we called our band. The Timeless Wavelengths. <laughs> is that a reference to Rush music? It is. You don't know Rush, <laughs> dude? I'm, I'm a drummer. I get it. I know Neil Peart, but I like have never listened to an entire album. Yeah. Probably never will. Is that from Spirit of Radio? I think that- It is from Spirit yeah, of Radio. Yeah, yeah. Emotional feedback on Timeless Yeah, we covered Rush songs that had lyrics changed to uh, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> yeah, things. I, I basically, I basically took Rush Limbaugh comments and uh, made it into songs. It wasn't a hit. We got extended once. It didn't. It didn't tank. Chris Jones only. Not that I remember. He only gave it two stars, and kind of talked about it being unfinished, which it might have been. But Tony, I'm a little biased. I thought that Rush Limbaugh show. Mark Sutton, who's a longtime improviser, who doesn't necessarily look like Rush Limbaugh. He's super talented and just he he's like one of those legendary people at this point. I would never say this to your face, Mark, if you're listening. But Mark, <laughs> but Mark's great, and he played Rush Limbaugh brilliantly. I mean, he yeah. embodied, the sign of a great actor embodied the, sorry if you liked Rush, but even if you did, you can't argue, folks, the hate that Rush Limbaugh exuded. That helped establish his brand. God, 
I know we haven't spoken since you loaned me my talent, but I am coming to you now with a request. Is it my voice that will lead conservatives to a new day in this country? Please, Lord, give me a sign that all of America will follow a new conservative doctrine. Rush, the nation is under terrorist attack. The Pentagon and Twin Towers have been struck by planes. Thank you. It was just a great performance. Colleen Murray was great. Bumper Carroll was great. Carla Beard, who's a singer around oh, town, yeah, yeah. was Rush's alter ego. And she is like an A-plus singer who knocked it out of the park. Great show. I'm sorry y'all missed it. I thought it was pretty fun. And Tony, uh, being in that band with you was even more fun than All Stars because we got to be together twice a week for like two months. Yeah, it was totally cool. Yeah, that was my fa- definitely my favorite part of the whole week was uh, was doing those rehearsals and those shows. It was great. Yeah. Even if it wasn't super critically acclaimed, I'm trying to remember back then, I wasn't super familiar with the Second City scene, but I knew about that show. Like it definitely had cultural penetration in Chicago. Because I also remember, TJ, when I met you, so fast forward to, I don't know, 2011, maybe, 2010, um, working with the Chicago Tribune and WGN Radio and the Second City, there was a collaboration. We did a show called Chicago Live, which was like a live stage show that was bringing the newspaper to life on stage. Yes, it's early in the morning, but it's still time for Chicago Live Replay. This is our season finale. It took place Thursday night downstairs at the Chicago Theater. Let's welcome the great Sven Gulli. And the second city was essentially the the funnies, the funny pages. Um, And then we recorded it for radio. But when I met you, you were the music director and you directed a lot of the episodes. Um, I remember learning that like you were the composer of Rush Limbaugh, the musical. And I was like, holy shit, like this guy made that show that like I, was I stole town. songs from the Rush catalog. I composed <laughs> nothing. I ripped them off. And the Little Mermaid. But thank you. And I stole from Little Mermaid. No, that's an original. It just sounded, that was a pastiche. That was my Ruddles moment. Was my version of Under the Sea about Rush's addiction to Oxycontin. Yes. Johnny number. Uh, but Casey, I interrupted, but please, uh, cause I loved working with you was like you and I got along from the word go just like with me and Tony. Yeah. There's like a, a little bit of a kindred spirit in terms of, um, here, here's what I think is maybe a unifying principle of the show and maybe the three of us in some ways, which is working hard and being proud and doing something that we're very serious about doing well without, I mean, I guess you guys wrote that into the description of the show without taking anything too seriously. And I think that was the hallmark of our connection. I mean, I think the defining moment of our connection at Chicago Live was during a show. I often, I think it was maybe we had the Mythbusters exhibit from the Museum of Science and Industry and somebody spilled a bunch of water all over the stage and I'm like a producer. So I have to run out on stage and wipe up all the water. And TJ just like very politely starts playing the go you Northwestern theme song, uh, just sort of reminding me how I was putting that, that degree in my 60 grand of exactly student where loans. It came from. It's a great use just cleaning up somebody or maybe it's like Rick Kogan did a spit take or something. I just had to wipe it up. It was just, and I was like, we got each other. I was like, I feel you. Go, Lord, where? Where? 
so you reached out, Casey, as a fan That's right. of the show, just kind of, and that was, I remember saying to Carrie, and I think Tony talked about this too, like, I took that as such a compliment. We've heard from some, in addition to the wonderful strangers who listen to the show, Tony and I have friends, including some, you know, pretty deep in the entertainment industry who write us and tell us how much they like the show. And that's mm -hmm. like, I always take that stuff. I measure myself by who I work with and the reception to my work. And when both align and I get to work with such great people who are kindred spirits and people we hear from who I respect like the show too. It's very validating. Like I, I really, I try never to take that stuff for granted because it's special. Totally, man. Yeah. I mean, I think the spirit of the show speaks to that, that we're here a hundred episodes later. I, I mean, getting all of the outreach and all of the folks who listen and the folks who hang out with us on Discord and on Facebook, there's something so extremely validating about that, right? Like none of us is making any money to do this. We're all very, we're all professionals. Like we all do this kind of work professionally, but we really do this show because of that opportunity to connect with kindred spirits. And like those who enjoy eating uh, delicious, healthy food at Kenny Rogers Roasters. For the most delicious, healthiest chicken on the planet, you've got to go to Kenny Rogers Roasters. Teacher says, congrats. Congratulations. <laughs> Teacher says. Ding. Teacher says, congrats. We will get paid to do this. It's the wood that makes it good. And I have uh, another Tony and I connection. I don't want to lose track of the multiple connections here that we're about a year apart. Yeah. We're both only children. Yes. Both grew up in the Chicagoland area. Thank you. With the same media references and the same cultural references, sports stuff, um, and love of Chicago and all things Chicago. We both still yeah. live in the area now. And... Among the things, Tony, I think, and you're certainly deeper than I am, but thinking about doing the show, going through my shared things with you, like we both love Letterman yeah. and Letterman was a big influence. I mean, uh, well, I'm holding a picture, an autographed picture of Dave Letterman circa 1985 right here. It was something I got on eBay. Thanks for the news clip, David Letterman. <laughs> so someone that sent something in for like. Small town news or dumb ads. <laughs> There's something about that that's even better than an actual personally autographed photo. Oh, it's more Letterman-esque. Yeah, it's, it's, yes, it's pretty cool. It's perfect. Thanks for the news clip. <gasps> We're both of an age and of a level of inspiration where I think I don't uh, I'm going to speak for you and tell me if I'm wrong here. It was never the same when Letterman went to CBS. It was still there were a couple years of being great. Yeah. And certainly between what 93 and mm -hmm. to the end, there were many great moments. Of course. But the NBC years have a special, weird, cool thing, yes. especially erupting out of the tradition of The Tonight Show. The Tonight Show was so venerated and on for so long. I didn't watch The Tonight Show, but you knew it was big when you see the end credits of The Tonight Show, and then there's maybe a quick break, and then Dave started. It felt like it was just bringing a new era of comedy that I could... That and SCTV were my two big... Well, and, and WKRP and Faulty Towers are probably the top four influences. Oh, and A Hard Day's Night, so five. Tony, take it. Take it, Tony. Take it, Tony. Hey, we haven't heard that one in a while. Uh, yeah, Letterman was a huge influence on me. Like, in, in fact, I wasn't even listening to music for like two years of my childhood because I was just into Letterman. 
and I would get into the music that Schaefer played between commercials. And a lot of that was Beatles, like where I first heard Andy Bird Can Sing, things like Parliament's Cosmic Slop I heard when I was like 11, you know, which is an amazing funkadelic song. Things like that, like all these songs that I would hear later as I got into music. The first versions I ever heard was Sid McGuinness guitar, <laughs> Willie on bass. It could have been Anton or Steve Jordan on drums and uh, Paul Schaefer on that Hammond organ. Thank you, folks. Thank you, uh, Paul. Thank you. Uh, one of the most frequently asked questions we get in our mail is, why don't you ever let Paul and the band play more music on the show? Tonight, we are going to do that. Uh, Paul Schaefer, Hiram Bullock, Steve Jordan, and Will Lee, folks, dance to the music. Gentlemen. the song like that's a pre Shazam era so like yeah. you're hearing weird like Paul Schaefer zany keyboard synthed <laughs> out covers of a random P-Funk song like how do you even track that down and find out what the song is well, with that one in particular I remember Letterman this saying Paul what was that and uh. and Paul saying that was Cosmic Slop by the Parliament and I couldn't understand what he said after that and another one was Midnight in Moscow which is a great little tune that was uh, made famous by Kenny Ball, but Paul listed it as the Village Stompers. But things like Under My Thumb, the first version I ever heard of Under My Thumb was Paul Schaefer. Then the Who's version that the Who recorded in 67 when the Stones got busted, that they put out this Stones cover. Whoa! With uh, Pete Townsend doing the, the marimba line on bass. Under my thumb, under my girl. And then I heard the Stones version finally after that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Paul Schaefer, I love the sound of that band. The CBS Orchestra is great, too. I'm not taking anything away from the CBS years, but there was a different rawness in the first run on NBC that I don't think translated. And that's okay. People change. People move on. He was still amazing. 100%. Going through my mind today, thinking of the shows, one of my favorite Letterman bits that came out of nowhere. And it's when they did their, we are the world parody. Oh, with Chris Elliott was in that. It's a late night world. Yes. It's It's a late night world. world. And they go again. I mean, I'll never forget. I can sing that for you. It's a late night world. It's a world that we can share. So turn on your TV and watch it with me. It's a late night world of love. All right, can we rapid fire some more audience questions? Please. Okay, David on Facebook asks, what album post-1966 do you consider to be the most important album that the Beatles released, and why? None. I like the early stuff. The Jesus stuff really turned me off. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) 
You burned the rest of them, right? I did. Yeah. Every and day. then you bought more copies and you burned those too. Yeah. That's all I do. And you had Repeat more hot dogs. Burning. You cook the hot dogs. Then you burn the records. You put the records just right on top of the fire. In my house, we make Beatles VI s'mores. I think you know what I mean. <laughs> Well, okay, so this is a funny question. I say funny because I think the key word here is important. Yeah. I think that's a heavy word. So I'm going to say Sergeant Pepper because I think while they were making Sergeant Pepper, I'm pretty sure Paul felt that this was an important record we're making. This is a statement we're making. We've taken some time off from touring. In fact, we're never coming back. This album has to, you know, and that's why the the cover is so, you know, grandiose. I'm not a fan of that word important because I don't like a lot of important music. Like I find the band U2 is like an important band and it's like, okay, you know. Even early U2, you feel that way about? I'm not judging. Less early, definitely less early U2 when they were just wanting to make rock and roll or whatever. Hooray. But when they when they became popular, then they were like, oh, this is a platform. We can use this platform for the good. That I'll say that at least. But I have a hard time whenever Fuck like Bono for hating AIDS. <laughs> like, oh. Jesus Christ, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I just think that any band that thinks that what they're doing is important, maybe just like step out of the room for a minute and just reassess. That's all I'm saying. Well, someone needs to re-listen to Uno Dos Tres Catorce. <laughs> There's a lot of you two I love. This will take 20 seconds. Joshua Tree and Octung Baby are two favorites. I love Under a Blood Red Sky. Too important. You two up until like 93, 94, I love just about everything of. It's the opposite how I feel about R.E.M. Stop whining. So stand. End the song quicker, Mike. Cool. Uh, TJ, <laughs> you still, you've still you dodged the question, though. What is the most important late-era Beatles record? I gave my answer. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, sizzle, sizzle. Uh, favorite is going to be Abbey Road. Most important is probably Rock and Roll Music Volume 2. I think breaking the albums apart. No, that's he said it can't go past 1970. It's got to be the core. Oh, that's right. Between 67 and 70. Sorry. Fuck, I don't know what those are. Uh, <laughs> hey, Jude. <laughs> oh, okay, hold on a second. I, I, I'm most important. I am going to say, hey, Jude, because in America, which wow. was uh, maybe their second biggest market to Europe, um, in America, hey, Jude was a stopgap between Abbey Road and Let It Be. It was a million seller that featured some of their biggest hits ever that hadn't been on album, including Hey Jude and Revolution on an album for the first time. And it sold Capital millions of copies. It was one of their biggest selling albums for a while and tied over Beatles fans between Abbey Road and Let It Be. So for U.S. Capital, it is Hey Jude. For the rest of the world, it's Abbey Road. And if you don't want to put restrictions, it's Rock and Roll Music Volume 2. With those George Martin remixes. No, the remixes weren't used when they separated the volumes. Never mind. There you go. TJ is on the record. <laughs> Most important. More important than Sergeant Pepper. I don't know that one. White Album. I'm not familiar with that one either. <laughs> then Let It Be. Those aren't American albums. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Paul from Australia. Hi, Paul. Hi, Thanks Paul. for listening. Hi, Paul. Um, he wants to know. He, he says, huge, huge fan of the podcast. Appreciate it. 
What is your go-to Beatles album, the one you play more than any other? And his is Rubber Soul, Bad News TJ, the British version. Oh, bad news. <laughs> it's not bad news. The British Rubber Soul is a top two or three favorite album of mine. But from history and from experience, there is no record that makes me happier than the American Rubber Soul. It is just instant joy from start to finish. You know, even even Run for Your Life, which as we talked about, is not aged super well. It's not it's, it's not a dog song. It's just, you know, not Lennon's best moment. The U.S. Rubber Soul, I the way the sides start with um, I've just seen a face on side one and it's only love on side two really do change the album. And then for me, it's it's still the White Album. That's the one I'm always just putting on. Puts me in a good mood. I remember it was played a lot back at the Annoyance Theater when it was across from the Metro on Clark, 3747 North Clark. And yeah, that would be like someone would put the White Album on to like pre-show or, or after shows. I don't know. It made me feel like at home, which I was a member of that company and still kind of am, whatever, you know, there's no out. But <laughs> it's the, the Annoyance is the original Plastic Ono band. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want out. I'm just for the record. I was just. <laughs> well, and White Album feels like it's obviously such a broad collection that I feel like having that as a go to. Right. You could put it on and it could take you any number of different places. Yeah. Depending on, you know, how far into the album you listen. Do you always listen end to end if you're listening? Sometimes to I'll do a side two, uh, meaning uh, fun. Yeah. LP two is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'll start with a birthday. All right, a couple more rapid fire from from the the crowd. Um, who are all of our second favorite artists after the Beatles? There, I have a lot, but I think the one that I spent the most time with and bought the most books and all and merch from or whatever is the Who. Uh, I really love the Who. Um, and when I say the Who, I'm talking mostly pre Keith Moon. <laughs> Yeah, Doug <laughs> Sandom. I'm talking about when they were the high numbers. The best two era. Zoot suit. I wear a zoot suit jacket with side bands five inches long. Five inches long. No, uh, what I meant was uh, pre-Keith Moon's death, I guess, is yeah. what I'm talking about. And even like the Who Are You record I hardly ever listened to. But yeah, from the beginning to Who By Numbers is my favorite. Knowing you and doing the show as long as we have, I know how much you love The Who. If you had asked me to guess, I might have said Elvis would have been my guess oh, for your number two. That's so funny. I don't even consider him. It's so funny. Yeah. He's on another planet for some reason. My go-to is I would have either said Pavement maybe as okay. my number two because I was also really into them in the day. And John Spencer and like those bands that were around when I was 18 or whatever. But it was The Who. I mean, The Who's the reason I actually bought a drum kit. Uh, when I was 14. Ringo got me curious, but I, then I saw The Kids Are All Right, that movie that was made by a fan, Jeff Stein, and I saw like them playing a quick one on Rolling Stone's Rock and Roll Circus, and I was yeah. like, whoa. Her man's been gone for nigh on a year. He was you home yesterday, but he ain't here. Her man's been gone for nigh on a year. He was due home yesterday, but he ain't here. Great version of that, too. And it was the full version of the song, too. That version of Kids Are All Right. Played on WGN one night in summer of 89. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. How about you, TJ? Who's your number two? Tony mentioned 18. Um, my number two probably is Skid Row just because <laughs> of their song 18 and Life to Go. Uh, my crime was time. One of these days when you answer the question with the obvious, like, bullshit bits, I'm going to edit out your real answer and just leave that in. <laughs> this I, might be the time. I wouldn't notice. I'd be like, yeah, great episode. I'm, I'm listening. I love it. Um, huh, skid Row. Okay. Oh, fun. All right. Yeah, you're going to like them. Um, okay. So I, I think you know this. I, I'm going to break this into quick groups here. For most of my life, my number two was probably after the Beatles would have been Billy Joel for a lot of my life, probably up through high school. And now my number two since the 90s has been Ben Folds in whatever iteration, Ben Folds 5. Like Tony, my list, if I had to go deep, I'd throw out Steely Dan's probably number three, Stevie Wonder's probably number four, maybe Wilco's number five, if I, if I had to kind of go deep on the list. But Ben Folds, to me, as I mentioned on these shows before, as a piano player, he combined in an era, Tony, when nobody was doing piano rock in the 90s. I felt yeah. like being in my early 20s, watching this guy doing music that I really related to, I really got it, and I still love him to this day. I think he's smart. He's an arts advocate. I love what he's doing with his career. He pioneers stuff on the web. He's cool. He's not a dick. Uh, I mean, maybe his five wives might say, five ex-wives <laughs> might say different, but yeah, I, I, he he's my number two in terms of after the Beatles and certainly the solo Beatles stuff. I never heard other music that I felt like my soul just understood. Yeah. I'll just throw onto the fire uh Quick, important, hot take note. Uh, the Beatles are not my favorite artist. I love the Beatles. I like them a lot. Boo, I love doing the show. <laughs> get a room. Like, to me, <laughs> one of the joys of getting to work with you guys on this is all the stuff I'm learning about. And I love learning more about it. And I love all of the music that I'm discovering as part of it. The first Beatles record I bought as an adult was Abbey Road when I was, you know, 28, probably. Like, I wasn't listening to the Beatles super frequently, I don't think, as an adult. My parents played it when I was little, and Sgt. Pepper was the first CD they ever bought when they got a CD player. So I listened to that a ton. Are we your parents' age? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I'm so bad oh, no. for you. No, 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 no. You're like my older brother's age. You're a little older than my older brother. Um, but I would say Ben Folds 5 is my favorite artist, and specifically as the five, not okay. Ben Folds Solo, who I like, but is lesser to me. Ben Folds V. Ben Folds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you just, you did it. See, now you're on board. It worked. <laughs> and uh, and I would add on top of that, Elton John was sort of the one of the big artists. You know, my parents listened to him. I think maybe the second CD they got was like an Elton John greatest hits, but Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Tumbleweed Connection, uh, Captain Fantastic, Honky Chateau was one of my favorite records as a kid and, and remains. I've never seen him live and I'm going back in August to visit my family and see Elton John at Soldier Field on his farewell tour.
Casey, I love hearing, I've got to ask uh, the Ben Folds 5 versus Ben Folds distinction. A big reason solo Ben Folds is on my list is because of Rock in the Suburbs, which mm-hmm. as an album to me is about, I put that number two to Reinhold Messner on my Ben Folds all-time list. That's how highly I, I don't think the rest were even approached it, but wow, uh, I, I, are you just not on board with the solo stuff as much? Yeah, it's a little too tongue-in-cheek for my take. Like, I, the, one of the things I love, and you talked about how Ben Folds was the innovator of 90s music and sort of that the angst of that era done via piano and a trio, like no guitar either, right? It's piano, bass, bass. and drums, yep. which is just such a raw sound and like often a distorted bass, a very Paul McCartney distorted bass. Yes. And, um, and I think there's like the earnestness of that music really gets me. And I think he gets more ironic. I, Rock in the Suburbs was the first album that came out after I had discovered his music. And that was the first time I saw him was his tour for Rock in the Suburbs. And it just, yeah, it just didn't sing to me. I love Darren Jesse's voice. I love the, like the raw trio vocals. It's, it's more my speed. Well, that's on a future podcast we'll talk about, because we've talked about podcasts where like if Tony's got a TV gig for six weeks, Casey and I might, we do best ofs and Casey and I might do a Ben Folds thing, just like it's like a bonus episode. So at a future time, because I agree about Rock in the Suburbs, I think that was done on purpose. He was going sure. for his first commercial hit, and I think the music transcended the production, but more on this later. <laughs> and so... Song. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's it. All right. Uh, we'll go deep on um, the William Shatner album, Has Been, that Ben Folds produced. Yeah. And oh, Fear I of Pop. That. Yeah. And Fear of Pop. Rock. That one I remember. Yeah. No one understands me, you say. And I nodded once again, as if to agree that all men are indeed the same. Somehow, you said, I was different. Okay, I know there's no such thing as a lightning round, but I really do want to <laughs> hit a couple more quick questions. Mike from St. Louis. Love Mike from St. Louis. Yeah. Maybe the only Cardinals fan in my life. First Cardinal fan I've ever liked is Mike from St. Louis. I know. And I've been to many credit. games there. Mike from St. Louis <laughs> wants to know, what are your favorite movie franchises? Let's get outside of uh, Beatle Talk. Yeah, movies. I like the the Star Wars and The Godfather franchises though that's hard I, I franchises trips me up i think it's is he i think he's maybe tacitly asking are you star wars or star trek or marvel i'm zero marvel yeah that's not my thing <laughs> me too i'm gonna have to get into it at some point as my son gets older but i'm just not into it i'm i i'm not a star wars nerd i'm far from it but i'm team star wars and those first three were a big part of childhood and I've, I've liked the more recent ones, but they, I mean, the emotional connection, even uh, the last one, Return of the Jedi, the last one, <laughs> be talking to 1983, the last wow. one, the, the last one of the original three, they all, those have some connection, but I'm not like a diehard or anything like that. Same here. Same here. I, I, the first three I know, the others I don't. When I was a kid, I loved Airplane 1 and Airplane 2 and like- great. The Naked Guns. I know yes. that's not that kind of franchise, but all three of those were yeah. great. I got uh, Back to the Future, but the great oh, trivia yeah. is that two and three were shot at the same time. Remember discovering that, that they yeah. filmed two and three simultaneously Yeah, while Michael J. Fox was doing Family Ties? Two is rough. Back to the Future 2 is rough. Two's hard. Yeah. And three, I'm like, eh, I think the first one's just great. That's why it's hard to do the franchise thing. Like, 
uh, Godfather 3 is like, but the first two. Well, you also both seem to readily cite the Superman movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and its sequels. Yeah. I like the first two of those. The third one with Pryor sucked. I saw that in the theater. Yeah. Is that after Richard Lester had died? <laughs> Uh, TJ, Dick Lester is not dead. Oh, yeah. I don't know how many times you have to go over this. I mean, His family has been writing uh, emails. I to send a card, and I'm just uh, terrible. Uh, uh, can, can I sp- uh, spitball this? Well, first, what's yours, Casey? What's your favorite franchise? Uh, I think I'd have to go. I'm a, showing my uh, millennial bona fides, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which the director's cuts came out when I was in college. and Or I, mean, I guess all of them came out when I was in college, but we just... We used to watch the director's cuts like once a year around Christmas where we would just watch all of them over like a couple day span. I, I haven't seen them. Yeah, I haven't seen <gasps> them either. I'm sure I will oh. at some point, but I haven't seen them. I saw the first one in the th- midnight showing like on a weeknight and I was a bike messenger and um, I fell asleep during, during the yeah. first one. That's fair. You know, Godfather certainly too, but I, I mean, obviously my favorite franchise of franchises, two movies, I, I, loyal listeners know this, Grease 1 and Grease 2. In many ways, I prefer Grease 2 more because it is way worse, <laughs> but it's got a couple of the great numbers in movie musical history. The bowling alley scene we're going to score tonight is fucking great. Michelle Pfeiffer on the ladder singing Cool Rider is a great and 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 kind of sexy moment. And then, of course, the song Reproduction with Tab Hunter as the teacher, which is just one long, dumb joke. It's just like one euphemism in a song. your pistol right here where does the polling go Grease 2 is awful and wonderful it's like the original the room you know <laughs> wow <laughs> well what's your favorite movie of all time if you just if you could if there's one movie to pick that you got to live with what movie is that oh god that is hard that is hard um you know what's funny man here hold on let me i have to dig it up sorry i should have done this earlier but i made a list when we started ranking things I think I made a, a, a list of like favorite things and for you and I to like go through. Should we save it? Oh, shortcuts. So I'll do I'll, I'll, Ooh, I'll, I'll okay. it. Oh, yeah. okay. Great pick. Shortcuts is my favorite movie. Turn them out. Turn them out. That's breakfast. Have a steak and some eggs. Not if I have to pay for it, baby. You're not drinking, are you? Lily Tomlin and Tom Waits are lovers having problems. One of many frustrated couples we meet in Robert Altman's Shortcuts, a marvelous adult soap opera of sorts. All right, one last, one last quick uh, listener question comes from our pal Chasso Masso on Discord. Perhaps the youngest Untitled Beatles listener, that at least that we know of. That we know of, Chasso. Um, do you ever interact or listen to or consume modern music besides classic rockers making modern music? So. Ringo EPs do not count, and or other culture like video games, TV, movies, etc. In general, Ringo EPs don't count. <laughs> Love you, Ringo. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock. So maybe let's simplify this. What's a 
contemporary record that you've bought and loved recently? I will say that the algorithms or whatever have found me some newer music. That's where I found that band Coffee. I talked about them a couple weeks ago. They have that record out. There's a song by them called F that I really like. BC Camplight is another group or guy I don't even know, but this is stuff I'm hearing on uh, on Spotify that I like. Uh, White Reaper had a song called "Make Me Wanna Die" that I really liked a lot. And then, like, there's bands like I caught Kurt Vile. A friend of mine offered us uh, tickets to see Kurt Vile. This is uh, the guy from Pennsylvania, not the Three Penny Opera Kurt Vile. Not the Bertolt Brecht uh, composer? Correct. Not the, uh, of Mac the Knife fame? <laughs> Correct. No, this Kurt Vile actually covered a song by the Silver Jews, R.I.P. Uh, David Berman, but that was great. And uh, yeah, bands like Deerhoof that are still around, they started in the 90s, but they're still doing stuff. Cass McCombs, I like him. Claiming what I'd call dad privilege with my just turned six year old, I, I barely have time to listen to Beatles stuff now. So I'm not listening. New music on XRT. There's a guy out of England, I think Bakar is how you pronounce his name. It's a lot of it's it's kind of like neo soul. Could you tell where my head was at when you found me? Me and you went to hell and back just to find peace. Man, I thought I had everything. I was lonely. We like Black Pumas. I know they're not super new anymore, but no, I mean, a lot of the the new music I listen to is new music by bands I already know, like the new Wilco. I haven't heard the new Wilco yet, but I always do that. It's a country album. I haven't heard it yet. Cruel Country. country. Have you heard it? I I listened last night for the first time. It's wonderful. I'll bet. You'll love it. Uh, I read that it's like in the direction of the last few albums, which were a bit more kind of pastoral. There's no middle and the other side. Rather kill than compromise. There is no middle than the other side. We'd rather kill than compromise. Adjust your eyes to the light and let them roll with pride. Focus your mind. I get frustrated when people call Wilco dad rock. I think it's 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 true. It's it's they're they're still a contemporary band. They're making great stuff. It might be more pastoral than than some of the you know experimental the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot stuff. But um, yeah, man, there's not uh, Tedeschi Trucks isn't new, but I love I, we listen to their Pandora station sometimes. But yeah, we listen. If you have XM, folks, we listen to a ton of Kids Place Live. We listen to Kids <laughs> Place Live, and we listen we listen to the Spectrum and XRT. That's kind of how I know my new music. I've, I've aged into that motherfucker. <laughs> So TJ endorses Baby Shark, is what he's saying. <laughs> do, 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 do. Go look it up. Oh, man. Get the single. 
Uh, mm. I want to throw into the pot. I work with a lot of great musicians and folks who are younger than me who keep me alive and fresh. And a coworker recommended uh, this woman, Laura Mavula, M-V-U-L-A. She's like a British soul singer, but she did this album uh, last year called Pink Noise that is like total 80s synth soul. Hmm. And it's just like a dance jam. Courtney Barnett did an yeah. album with Kurt Vile. Yeah, uh, oh, that yeah. It's called Lot of Sea Lice. It's so fun. She's cool. She's like Australian, right? She's Australian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like her too. Yeah. When I'm all alone on my own by myself, and there ain't another single one around. I wanna dig into my guitar and the blues riff that hangs over everything. I like Kurt Vile. XRT plays him a bunch. Like, he, he's great. You know what? Like, I, I know, that, again, they're not new. They're about, what, 15 years old now? But, like, Vampire Weekend's really fun. Hearing them, like, I kind of dismissed them a little bit early on. And now I'm kind of, I'm into them more. You toss aside like a pile of leaves. I gotta find some little weeds. Four, five meter run around the bell. When the government majors surround you again. If dying young won't change your mind. Oh, I got the, there's a new there's a new singer. He's been around a while as an actor, but a recent hit I love that's probably contemporary. A lot of the people you work with might know this, Casey. It's called "You're Welcome" by The Rock. What can I say except you're welcome? I'll throw out to listeners. Thank you for all of these awesome questions. And if you get a chance, we have a, we'll include a link in the show notes on Discord. We actually have a channel for other bands and music where we all, you know, not just us, but all other listeners are constantly sharing new and old music alike. Uh, we talk about stereo versus mono. We talk about the episodes of the show. There's a whole lot we cover, and it's a lot of fun. mistake on one of our last episodes. Oh, we're going to do some fact checking, some corrections. We were corrected. Oh, uh, we're going to be here all night. <laughs> we kept saying, I don't really want to start the show. And the lyric is, I don't really want to stop the show. What? <gasps> yeah. What? Oh, mia culpa. That's a spicy, a beetle fact of fuck up. Get your pepper albums out, everybody. No. I, I have to run. To Are you serious? One of my favorite moments in this song is Paul's first solo line. I don't really want to start the show. I don't really want to start the show. I love it. <laughs> it's funny, but I thought you might like to know. But I thought you might like to know. I love it. You know, yeah. He doesn't really want to start the show. Wouldn't that be funny if, like, original copies, like, it's just, like, the first side's mostly silence, and then they start the show, like, when Paul wants to. <laughs> I don't really want to start the show. I'm on a 20-minute union break. <laughs> We'd like to th uh -huh. <gasps> Lyrics Genius does list it oh, as I don't really want to stop the show. I have always heard I don't really want to start the show. Yeah. Wow. And that's that's on the lyric sheet? I don't really want to stop the show. On the back of the album, yeah. It does say it? Well, I'll go get it right now. 
Wait. Yeah, let's clear what? this okay, up. Okay, go get it. We'll clear the air on this. All right, TJ has the album in his hand with the lyric sheet. What version is that, TJ? <laughs> you think you had to ask me? <laughs> I was I'm like, let me get out the version, Tony. This is the stereo Apple pressing. Thank you. Okay, good. So Dave Dexter didn't touch it, so it has some credibility. Yeah, no, this one's this one's normal. Side one ends up benefiting Mr. Kite, and side two begins with there's a place. So this is a normal pressing. <laughs> does it Ooh, yes, it does. It has the cutouts. Oh, you got the cutouts and everything. It has the original inner. Nice, the fool. And I've put the record in a special expensive thing that does nothing because when I go, this is what my son will have. <laughs> it's cool to see it in an Apple Apple yeah. label. I'm just telling you, I hope I can get you geeking out more about labels, Tony. It's fun to play. <laughs> Seeing Pepper playing on Apple on the turntable brings me untold joys. Tell my therapist. Um, so let's see for a second here. TJ is consulting the lyric sheet. I don't really want to stop the show. Holy shit. But I thought we... you might like to know. And I yes and did you. Well, that's how I've always heard it. Me too. Yeah. So did you know at the time when we recorded the episode, TJ, did you know it was I don't really want to stop the show? And you just like didn't interject? Honest to God, I it went through my mind and in playback, I kind of confirmed it, but I it didn't bother me. That is so funny. I've always heard start. I don't really want to stop the show. Yeah, how many of you, regardless of there's a lyric sheet, and yes, I poured over it when I was a teenager, but to my defense, it was the cassette version. So the, yeah. the, the tiny thing, Jake. <laughs> I, I thought maybe I was wrong. I just have always heard it that way, and I thought that, that was just like a funny little Beatle Liverpool humor thing. That's it's like a Mandela effect thing. You know, it's like the Berenstain Bears aren't the Berenstain Bears, but we all just remember it wrong. Or believing Sinbad did a movie that he never did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fuck. I was part of that. Yeah. Shazam is, is the Mandela effect. Everybody swears I did a movie called Shazam. And for those of us just joining, this is the Untitled <laughs> Beatles podcast 100th episode or episode key. key. Or episode C, as we call it. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thanks to the audience for indulging us on this. This is obviously a little uh, self-indulgent, maybe. But I think, I don't know. I think it's a tribute to the work of the two of you. I Like, thank you for letting me be a part of it. The show has been so much fun. It started during the pandemic. I think it's gotten us all through a lot of weird times and gotten to connect with some music. We just recently, this is our 100th episode, we just hit the two-year mark of the show. Thank and you. And we just hit 100,000 downloads, which is a lot by podcast. It feels like not a lot if you have a viral YouTube video, but it's a lot by podcast terms. Yeah, but uh, if I may, uh, the, the first uh, 20,000 were downloaded by Brian Epstein, so... <laughs> that's right. That's you know. owned by NEMS. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Looking ahead into our next, hopefully, 100 episodes, right? Like, who did any of us ever think we would have, we'd be here talking about 100 episodes of a show? I don't know. How are you guys thinking about where we go from here? That's a good question. I might start wearing like a sombrero or, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I'll start speaking in like an English accent or something. Yeah. Um, Keep it fresh. I want like a new kind. I, I want to be like a something different, something new. We got to shake it up, you know, after 100 episodes, you know, it's like when that TV show James at 15 went to James at 16. 
That is that is a reference. That's a way. That's a very stupid reference. No idea what that. Whoa, is. whoa, James singing. Whoa, whoa, James. <laughs> right? Maybe. Whoa, James. Right? Whoa, whoa, James singing. Whoa, whoa, James. The people in the street go the pouring of the rain. Let me maybe try to posit this question another way. <laughs> Are there episodes that you've been looking forward to doing that you know we want to hit this next year? Like, what are what are some of your, like, to-do lists? That's good. We do get your episode ideas over on the Discord over there. Email our agent. <laughs> we don't have an agent. I think we're going to hit some of those for sure. They're all great suggestions. We've been talking about anthology for a long time. Do we think this is the year that we hit anthology? Yeah, possibly, right? Yeah. We were talking about doing a 1982 episode, right? In honor of Summer of 82. And um, circle it around Tug of War, which had two of the biggest hits or one of the biggest hits of that year, Ebony and Ivory. And Take It Away was not a number one hit, but a pretty sizable hit. Tug of War, I think, made it in the top, might have been number one. It was certainly a top five album. One of his last. That's a teaser of what you can come to expect when we hit that. Yeah, I mean, 82, also the year the John Lennon collection was released on Geffen, which took a lot of the Capital Apple Masters for the first time. On So you've got an album that was briefly on Geffen that has instant karma and give bees a chance and all that, which is kind of neat. Um, and Gontrapo, of course, the album that George decided, you know what? I'm not going to promote this mediocre album. It needs six more instrumentals. <laughs> like, I love how Warner Brothers was mad about the original Somewhere in England. And George gives him Gontrapo and it's like, ooh. <laughs> the six-minute version of Circles, all right. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot. I mean, we want to talk about the cassette running orders, which were often very, very different and have, for people who grew up listening to the Beatles on cassette, um, I I love the anthology. I mean, I think anthologies do, what, in 95 will be the 30th anniversary of anthology. Maybe that's an opportunity. It, it doesn't yeah. stream. Uh, but yeah, Anthology what? was one of the most important Beatles experiences I've ever had in my in my life in college. Wow. It, I already knew a fair amount and Anthology took me to a whole different place. Yeah, that just blew my mind that that's going to be 30 years coming up that that was. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're thinking about going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're t- talking about getting on an yes. untitled Beatles road trip. And uh, we're also going to try and catch Ringo. Hopefully, you know. Hopefully COVID won't affect whatever and we can go see Ringo when he comes to town later this fall. Edgar Winter's got to be healthy, though, because he raps the beginning of Free Ride. All right, there's one more thing I'd like to know before we get underway here. Is anybody ready to take a free ride? Will we get to Beatles Fest, do we think? We is have that a to. Possibility? The, the only tricky thing, guys, is Beetlefest is on my um, wedding anniversary almost every year. Now that why it's is back. that a tricky thing, TJ? There's, <laughs> there's a thing that we all have that's called priorities. I think Carrie's run out of patience with <laughs> with me. <laughs> It's the only weekend That's available fair. in August. Uh, yes, but I want to go. I used to go to them all the time. I started going in, I think, 81. And I had to miss a bunch because my summer camps last weekend was during Beetlefest. So I missed a bunch in like the 90s. But I went back for a while and I really haven't been in the last 10 years or so. And certainly doing the show. Beetlefest is heaven. It's nerdy. 
It is wonderful. And I will say the flea market, you guys, especially for a nut like me, that flea market with all the stuff, that's where I built most of my collection as a kid. And I still, like, I drool in there. And when edibles got in the way, you're like, I used to rent a hotel over the high and just smoke a lot of pot and eat Krispy Kremes and go down to the flea market, two-day tickets. Like, maybe I need more help than I'm getting. Well, TJ, maybe this year I can go down there and we can Zoom it or whatever. And you can just yell at like... Go see if they have the purple capital. You know, whatever you need left. <laughs> look, look for a red capital target 45 and Lady Madonna, the rare. Yeah. Or the Brazilian single of whatever, you know, day tripper with uh, misery on the B side. <laughs> in, in Greece, Martha, my dear, is on 45. I want it. must collect all the records. Any last words you guys want to keep recording at all? Uh, just thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank Casey. You. Thank you to everyone for listening. It is the Untitled Beatles podcast. We still need a title. Please submit those titles. Yeah. Maybe that's, let's set that as a goal for the next hundred episodes. We're going to land a title. We'll get a title and then we'll have to change all the paperwork and the everything. But yes, can't wait. We'll figure it out. I quit. Suck a 500. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. And we're going to introduce a new letter in the Roman numerals. 500 is D. Big D is dashing through the door Little D is dancing across the floor D's in a dinghy on the deep blue sea D, you're the letter for me Oh yeah D, you're the letter for me <laughs> Delightful <laughs> See, we brought it back to where we started